The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Check out shares of FedEx. The stock is sinking after hours. Uh, after the conference call is kicking off in about 30 minutes, we'll tell you the most important things to watch. Plus, the streaming war is heating up. Netflix fighting back as Apple gets set to launch its streaming service next week. So just how big of a threat is Apple to Netflix's streaming dynasty? The traders will weigh in. But first, the Fed decision tomorrow could bring the bears out of hibernation. As stocks inch back toward all-time highs, the Fed has already put the chances of a rate hike on hold. In fact, the chance of a rate cut is rising, and it's already said the unwinding of its balance sheet is flexible. All these statements calm the markets initially, but is the Fed out of tools to keep the bulls happy, and could a Fed that's too duffish sounding, uh, will, will that spark a Fear. Fear on Wall Street. Two-part question. Are they Can out you, of tools? Mm-hmm. And, and if they turn, too, me, if they dovish, turn too dovish, is that, is that actually that bearish? Be? Hmm. Great question, Mel. Is that, I mean, that's a great, one of your better questions complex. maybe of all time. I, to answer the first part, no, none, they're not out of tools. BK can speak far more intelligently than I about the tools they have. But I'll say this, in terms of being too dovish, absolutely it can spook the market. I mean, this was a Fed that in October was telling you full systems go. We're on cruise control in terms of the balance sheet. We have three rate hikes in 2019. What did they see all of a sudden in the greatest economy in the history of our republic? Not my words, the president's, to make them go a complete 180. So I would say if they get too dovish, absolutely, especially in the wake of what Federal Express just said, could spook the market. They saw the market cave. That's what I think they saw. They saw the president. They heard the rhetoric. They heard the rhetoric. They saw the market cave. So you know where I stand on this. I do believe that they're out of tools because even if they have the balance sheet, I think it means for them that they're throwing in the white flag, that all of that easing, we can never get back to normalized balance sheets. We can never get down to, to $3 trillion. It is bets are off. They're out of ammo. Well, I mean, the chances of us getting back to a normalized balance sheet are very close to zero. I mean, you just have to look at Japan and find out what happened. That's where we're headed. So there is plenty of tools for them to use. It's called printing money. They've done it before by a different name. But they got a lot of money that they can print. To me, what's more interesting about the Fed coming tomorrow is where's the Fed put? Where's that strike price? The market's telling you right now on the S&P 500, 2720, let's call it. That's the March 8th low. That's the strike price. That's when the market started to turn around. And to me, that's where the market's telling you, all right, that's where the Fed comes back in. If we don't go through, if we don't, if we hit that level, we test it and don't go higher, then you have to reevaluate. But I think the Fed is okay for now. I think you guys are overreacting. I mean, I think, you know, to say that the Fed Never. is out of tools and out of bullets and all this stuff, first of all, is to also imply we're at zero rates right now, which we're not. I know it's, we're close to zero, but we're not at zero rates, okay? Zero rates would produce a very different economy than the one we have, which, by the way, it's an economy that I actually think that there is inflation, which is why I, I think reflation trades are very interesting right now, because rates don't, rates are a function of policy. They're not a function of what's going on globally. And Guy brought up the president. And and look, we all have to ask the question. It, It may not be a markets question. 
but ultimately the markets will respond to this. Did the Fed, did something change in the Fed's pivot that was data related or did the Fed change and why did the Fed change? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can look around the world, you can look at Europe, you can look at Europe that sure. basically Germany went into recession two quarters in a row. China, uh, PMIs finally after two years of going sideways and not being that big a deal really have decelerated. So you know, there's a rationale for what the Fed did. Even I would admit I think it was extraordinary, the change in rhetoric from October to where we were in mid-December. And and maybe the question now is, having gotten FedEx's quarter, which was for the fiscal third quarter, it was weak, the outlook, they cut their outlook uh, for the second time in three months. In three months. um, Is that the new data point? Is that going to be at the vanguard of the data points that the Fed is going to digest in the next next couple of months, which will cause them to pivot, pivot even maybe to be more dovish, See, now, that's well, I'd say 95% of people disagree with me. I don't think the Fed should be looking at, you know, corporate guidance, FedEx guidance, Apple's guidance a couple months ago. You know, in my opinion, we all know that processed sugar is the worst thing you can have. We all do it, but we know it's horrible. We I also know... You go on oh, oh, no, but, but listen, and, but and listen. I know that it's going to lead to something. It's going to lead to something. It's going to lead to something. Okay, go We ahead. also know intuitively that if we can ever get off of it, it is life-changing. You feel so great, it absolutely changes your life. The problem is getting from point A to point C. That in-between is extraordinarily Sounds painful. Sounds like cold sweats And that's where the Fed is right but, now. But we know this all. Quickly. Yeah. We know that they shouldn't like be doing what they're doing, and we we also know that if they can ever get back to normalization, it'll put this economy for the first time since Paul Volcker on serious, strong foundation. But none of us have the political or courage to get to well, that point. We don't point. even know if it's political courage or not. So, so Tim, the, the only thing I have a problem with what you're saying is we, if there is inflation, shouldn't the Fed be doing something different other than hypothetically cutting rates at this point? Because if the, if that gets back to that question, if they have no, if if there is inflation, they are running out of bullets, and they only have two and a half percent to play with if it starts to actually creep up. So look, I don't think we have runaway inflation, but I, I and I think we have to fight deflation. I think that's what the Fed. So they're they're not hypothetically cutting. I, what you're saying is by implicitly they're implicitly cutting by by not moving forward with an aggressive tightening policy. I I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think ultimately we have a dynamic here where Guy talked about the financial oppression that the Fed has ushered on the world. And I would argue this is since long-term capital. We could go, we could have a whole show about this and it wouldn't be enough. But the market we have right now is a market where the Fed is going to continue to be a Fed put. And by the way, it's not how I felt until somewhere, you know, somewhere in mid-January with the Fed really confirmed what they started to give you some some detail on earlier. So um, bottom line, this is this is for the market to, I think, continue to have pain trade higher. I'll go back further than you. I think it's the 87 crash when they cut oh, rates wow. and said the Fed put is there. But that's why the market's pricing in a Fed rate cut in by December of 2019. It's still at 27 percent probability. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. But up from 2 percent just at the beginning of March, to me, tells you everything you need to know about this market. Investors are telling you the Fed is going to be dovish well into 2019, possibly into 2020. And the fact that the stock market has risen on that news tells me that that that's what the investors want, which is crazy. Doesn't that mean how we started the show is are they out of bullets or the second part of that question? Does the dove Tools, bring out? Does the Tools dove bring we out the bear? And at a certain point, you have to say the ECB, mm-hmm. everything that they did, everything the Fed has done, it really only paid off for X amount of years, and now we're left with a shorter stash of ammo 
and bigger Possibly. problems. Maybe the market where it is right now, no one is saying. But you always say, and I agree with you, it doesn't matter till it does. Right. right. So we'll get information in the next two days to find out whether it matters. If the market sells off on FedEx and the market sells off on a too dovish Fed, then we might have a problem. But if, we, if the market rallies tomorrow and we have bad news from FedEx, in spite, and, of, in FedEx. spite of that, that's an unbelievably bullish sign just from a trading perspective. Hey, look, I. I, I I know that fundamentally and theoretically we, we, should be, we should be challenged. We should have a lot of problems with what the Fed is doing or not doing. Uh, but the reality is this U.S. economy right now is, tr- is probably clipping somewhere north of a 2% GDP. Expectations for a lot of companies, including FedEx, which trades at 10 times earnings, which isn't expensive, even though they've guided two out of three quarters lower. This is the market we have. This is the market well, we're looking at. Why do you think? Why do you think? No, it's the second time in three months. I understand that. So, so and, it's but, up to you two times out of three quarters. Why you can make the argument. I mean, it's, in, it's international, GPS, right? GPS I mean, that's what FedEx has said. It's international. Anemic international shipping has been the problem. So then look at what's happened in the market. You've seen this FANG stocks. That's where you're going for growth because there's no growth out there. You've seen uh, the rails, right? They've done quite well because that's domestic. So that's what the market's that telling you. are completely insulated from the continuing slowdown in macroeconomic conditions that FedEx has seen. the market is telling you what you buy. The went from 4.2 last year to 3.4 to 2.6, and the estimates now have a one handle on it, if not a, sing- a, a, a decimal. So right. we, what we have to ask ourselves is, are we different than where we were at 2850 just three months ago or whenever that was when we were assessing the same things, right? Ultimately, we were assessing those things in the context of a trade war and a Fed that was more bearish or more hawkish, and that took us down to 2350, wherever we went. Um, so let's argue we're in the same place because we were questioning global growth Mm-hmm. at that same time, and we thought the policy was going to make it that much worse. So the question is, should you be selling off the market aggressively here, or should you be trading with the pockets of, of trading ranges that I think we, we have in so front it, of us right now? It's the context of expectations. It's the context of, yeah, we know, the, we know that there is a global slowdown that is different today versus October, which makes today's investing environment better. Well, and, and but but again, it's a, it's fluidity in global data. This morning we had a confidence measure, the most important one in the German economy, which actually came in stronger. And I would argue that we got overly bared up on global data, which I think was not very good. But again, look at European stocks. It mm-hmm. traded above the 200-day now for the first time. Germany, the DAX is above the 200-day since effectively since last August. You've got the Euro stocks 50, so effectively a composite. So the FEZ ETF, FEZ, that's how you trade it, is now above the 200-day since last May over the last three days. This is telling you that the market priced in a lot of really bad news, and on some level, relative to itself, the delta is pretty good. Yeah, the rate of to Tim's point, the rate of it's lousy in Europe, but the rate of change is getting better. So although it's lousy, it's not getting as lousy as quickly. I guess is the best way to put it. But in terms of our market, you know, what does it mean? And again, I'll say it for about the fiftieth time. You know, I've thought the S and P is going to roll over for quite some time. I never thought we'd revisit the levels we're at now. But if you just go back and look where we are, and back to go back, probably. September, October, and look where we started to break down from. It's pretty much the same level. So I would submit with a VIX that was just around 12 and a half. I mean, to me, that is a sign that complacency is far too great. Everybody believes the Fed has their back. I'm not so sure. So why not use that to buy insurance today? Right. right? That's I mean, listen, we're talking about a lot of different things. We don't know what Powell's going to say. We don't know what's going to happen with the semis. But with a VIX at 12 and a half, 13, I think is the last I saw it. Why not buy some puts against your portfolio? Give yourself kind of both options. You don't need to be a crazy trader. You just buy insurance when you can, not when you have to. Coming up, as we mentioned, uh, check out shares of FedEx. The stock is sinking after a 
reporting disappointing earnings, taking down its full year outlook. The conference call is about to kick off. We'll tell you what Wall Street is watching for. Plus, it is a streaming battle for the ages. Netflix snubbing Apple as it gets ready, ready to launch a competing streaming platform next week. So which stock will come out on top? The traders weigh in. And speaking of streaming, Google launching its own streaming gaming platform. We will tell you which of the video game stocks could be the biggest winners and losers. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Netflix opting out of Apple's new streaming service set to debut next week as a battle between the two tech giants heats up. CEO Reed Hastings saying, we prefer to let our customers watch our content on our service. We have chosen not to integrate with their service. Netflix shares taking the crown so far this year up 35 percent, while Apple is up 19 percent. So as Apple dips its toes into Netflix's world, we play a Would You Rather oh, okay. Royale. Ooh. Netflix right. or Apple, Apple, BK. See, now here's the problem with this game because, well, I, it, I would the buy them. Problem. Yeah, the only problem. <laughs> but I would rather, I don't think you, I don't think it's not apples and oranges. Let's put it that way. Uh. Apple is a different company than Netflix. Yes, they're getting in the streaming service. But what Apple is, is an iPhone company. They haven't been able to get out of their own way on that for better or for worse. But Netflix, you know what? I'll go with Netflix. Let's, let's, let's go with that. And Netflix, and the reason why is they're throwing money at this. Unless Apple wants to throw a ton of money at it, which they can but have read, been reticent to do in other places, then I don't think they win the stream Yeah, wars. but BK, when you look at it, they're not on Apple. They're not. I'm going to go with Apple on this. Would you rather? Would you rather? I'm going to say that. time somebody did, and, BK. And yeah, sorry. It's $165 billion in iPhone revenue is Apple, but they also have $40 billion in services revenue. So I do believe... Five years ago, I agree with your statement. I think right now, I think you have to go with Apple on think, this versus. But do you think apples to apples as you start? Right, it, that's what I was trying one's to growth, say. One's growth, one's it's, more conservative bet. So I hear where you're. And coming. one's a pure play on streaming, and one is a Correct. iPhone hardware services Correct. hardware company. Okay, Correct. so yeah. let's let's break down the would you rather into two components. Okay, okay. Uh, two com- uh, all right, guys, it's getting into the deep end of the pool right yeah. now. And one to Guy. Right. The one for Tim okay. is who will win the streaming wars in that they have more subscribers than the other one in mm. in a year. In a year, Wait, a what? In a year, Netflix. Yeah. Um, and, in two and, years. In, in two years. <laughs> One year is too easy. Probably Netflix. Okay. What, how um, many years and, before and, Apple but, is the right answer? <laughs> well, but I'd like to answer the question back to, I'd like to have been given the early part of the game where Which I just say, I would much rather Apple. And I would much rather Apple for a couple of reasons. Apple, uh, as BK pointed out, is a hardware company. They're not a TV golden boy. This is going to be, um, it's going to be an app on your phone, and it's going to be essentially a conduit from which you can watch other people's content. Apple has no content right now. 
now, or they're developing some. But the bottom line is this is a story about where Netflix, to me, has enormous competition. So we know about Amazon, we know about Hulu, uh, we know about Disney, we know about all the over-the-top options, and now we've got another major player. Again, I do think Apple will monetize this, and I don't think there's going to be anything exciting on March 25th other than look down at your phone, you've got an Apple TV app. There. There it is. Click it. Uh-huh. They, they've also got a lot of cash they could potentially spend in terms of boosting their uh, If lead, they want to. If they wanted to, in terms but of But just studio. look at their... But go ahead. Their history of these things. Remember Beats? It was supposed to revolutionize, revolutionize the music industry. I mean, who uses Beats? I've never heard of them. I have a Zoom. You, maybe maybe were, I can yeah, put my Beats on my Zoom. <laughs> exactly. I just, they don't have a history of it. You meant revolutionize. Yeah, like revolize guy, right. whatever. Revolize, revolutionize. Speaking's it's all the hard. same amongst friends. <laughs> Okay, here's the twist. Oh, come on. So it's Would you rather rather oh. Netflix, <laughs> Apple, or Disney? Oh. Netflix, Apple, or Disney? Because I, Disney will have its I, own details. In terms of the context of this game, the streaming wars thing. Yes. So the New England Patriots are the gold standard of football. <laughs> really? You would agree, right? Really? Apple is, is the gold standard show. for football. It's a one-hour show, But if by the, the Patriots way. come and play the Knicks, they're going to get their rear ends kicked. What's your point, guy? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> this, Apple and Disney can't skate in Netflix lane. They have a 10-year head start, and Reed Hastings is so far ahead of the curve that they're never going to get it done. Apple should have bought Netflix seven years ago, like we said on this Hold show on a, a number of times. So in the context of your game, Netflix. So Netflix is going to burn four billion, are going to spend four billion dollars on, on content this year, uh, while Disney arguably has the best content out there. Or maybe maybe it's now AT&T, Time Warner. I don't know. Uh, but but. This is a company that's got a lot of debt. It's a company that trades at a ridiculous multiple. You still want to own that in the context where competition, which we've known about for years, is truly closing in. The in, pocket in your New England Patriot backfield is, oh, is collapsing. Oh, pocket nice. is collapsing. I even kind of understand that. <laughs> but it's a good thing that Reed home Hastings run, has pocket presence. And he'll stand in there until the last possible second. So I understand what Tim is saying. But they're so, Disney and Apple are so far behind in this war. They're never going to catch Netflix. And I say never. I never say never. But in this case, I'm Mm. saying never. For more on the streaming wars and who could be the big winner, go to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. It's game on for the video game stocks, as Google launches its own platform to compete. We'll tell you who the big winners and losers could be. Forget about the flowers and forget about your jewel. The Golden Gate City could be about to wage an all-out war on the vaping company. We've got those details. Much more Fast Money after this. Every day. Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on FedEx, a delivery giant falling in the after-hour session to the tune of about 5%. Let's get to Kate Rogers back at headquarters. The conference call is about to get underway. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. That's right. You said it. FedEx stock falling in the after-hours trade here. The company missing on the top and bottom lines and again cutting its guidance due to concerns over global trade growth. CFO Alan Graff said in a statement, slowing international macroeconomic conditions and weaker global trade growth trends continue as seen in the year-over-year decline in our FedEx Express International national revenue. Now, this is similar to what happened last quarter when the company lowered its guidance and the stock took a tumble. You can take a look at its six-month performance in this chart up on the screen. Now, last quarter, Fred Smith, the chairman and CEO of FedEx, said that while the U.S. economy remained solid, the company's international business had weakened during the quarter. Graf also said last quarter that global trade growth had slowed in recent months, pointing to ongoing deceleration in global trade in the near term, which, of course, is echoed in this quarter's comments so far. Now, on the call, which kicks off at 5.30. We will be watching for any further commentary on global trade as well as comments on the U.S. economy. In a note today, analysts from Bernstein said they will also be looking out for comments on the company's ability to get anything out of its express business and the ability to put a floor under its ground margins. And of course, we will bring you any highlights, Melissa, as they come. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much. Kate Rogers back at headquarters. So uh, does FedEx management have a credibility problem at this point? I, you know, look, I don't know that they do. They should know their business. There's some concern that TNT may be broken. There's some concern about margins. This is the second out of three warnings. Um, but let's face it, what has changed so rapidly? And if you look at the chart of FedEx, um, this could almost be a chart of emerging markets. They had a blow off top on Jan 26, 2018. And if you followed all the way through to December, it, they were tracking in line until it fell right out of gas on one of those warnings and also just the rest of the U.S. market. So my point is that I think sentiment in this company, so ultimately, what do you do with the stock now? Sentiment in the stock is terrible. Um, I think this guidance is in the stock. I don't know that it changes overnight, but I get back to uh, we may be at peak earnings for FedEx in the short term, but you've got a trough multiple. Peak earnings, trough multiple. I realize peak may not hold, but this company's cheap. Yeah, there's going to be a time to buy FedEx. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow. And the reason why is the global economy takes a long time to respond to a quote-unquote dovish Fed or everything else that the stock market has responded to. The stock market's a bit ahead of this. FedEx, before they can get those international shipments up, it's probably going to be a quarter or two. If we, as a pure trade, if we if this trades up tomorrow, then I'd get more bullish on it. Remember, they're also doing voluntary buyouts for their staff to reduce. Yep. The last time they guided, they also talked about reducing Reducing its network, the footprint of its network, right, and, and that's costing word. the money right now. But I mean, when you're shrinking, that's really a that should a be a forecast. bear sign exactly. for the overall market, the overall economy. Right. But we haven't seen it really affect, as Tim said. You've seen FedEx fall apart on a chart, and it's been it's it's been a, a, a counterintuitive to what you would think the market would be doing under this. But I do believe it's not oversold yet, so I don't think you can rush in with FedEx just yet. But I do think that there's not a credibility problem. I think that they're just trying to see how tariffs, trade, China kind of work through it. So I'd be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt before I start talking about management. So to answer your question, I'd say, yeah, I think they have a credibility. I mean, this guidance, so this was the third quarter they reported. They just gave fourth quarter guidance or full year guidance. Prior guidance was 1550 to 1660. You could drive one of their trucks through that, and now this guidance is now 1510 to 1590. They narrowed it, but it's still as wide as can be. So if you don't have visibility, why bother? I would suggest What's a 7% to Fred Smith. Is that that bad? You know what? Oh, I think for the, I absolutely listen. 
Why give guidance if you don't have that kind of clarity? That's just my view. I think a lot of people get upset when, th- what is your point? Three months ago, two and a half months ago, they gave guidance and they ratcheted it but right back down. there are reasons why it has to be wide. Well, and, then, I get, and I get your don't point. Give it. I get your point. It, it defeats the purpose of giving guidance, but it is, it, they're giving sort of a ballpark figure. Okay, look, that they can't meet all, either. Someone <laughs> threw a stick in the spokes of the bicycle wheel mm. of the global economy. Mm. Wow, that's Fred Smith, nice I think, is one of the best CEOs out there. The fact that this guy is, is moving on the fly to actually uh, cut costs, actually to bring some, some do some, some minor restructuring in the middle of this doesn't mean that the company's broken. Uh, I, to me, this is a case of think about where we were nine months ago. Global synchronized recovery. Oh, wow, everything's great. Fed's going to actually have to move and cut three times in 2019. Nobody thinks that. Everybody thought that nine months ago. So I, I, you can't tell me that FedEx, which is as, most, as leading and economically sensitive of a stock as you have, wouldn't respond to that. All right. Um, let's get the technical analysis on FedEx as well as the rest of the transports. Go off the charts with Mark Newton of Newton Advisors. Mark, what do you see in this chart here? Thanks. So technically not a good move in FedEx after hours as part of an already lagging transport sector. You see the stock down almost 5%. So for those not paying attention, you're going to come in tomorrow morning and see potentially free overnight shipping down to 172. So that's certainly not a good sign. And if you take a look at a daily chart of FedEx, you can see this well-defined trend channel over the last couple of years. All of a sudden, you see a breakdown into last December. We've seen a 20% bounce, yet this hasn't really recouped the level that it needs to to think that this group can really outperform. So you've seen the air freight lagging, the airlines itself lagging on a monthly basis. So this is sort of interesting when you look at a monthly chart. It puts things into perspective. You have a 10-year rally in this. The stock pulled back to almost an exact area where it needed to, right at $150 a share. This is a 50% retracement of the entire 9- to 10-year rally in FedEx. And so if anything, this suggests 150 is really a key level. 167 initially for tomorrow morning. Under that is 150. You cannot get under 150 without damaging the longer-term picture in FedEx. Transports in general, same picture. Broken a two-year uptrend. Not a great scene for the transports. They've been lagging. A lot of that is the airlines and the air freight. This really, we were hoping that this could start to push up, but obviously after hours, a move in FedEx is going to be problematic to the scene for the sector in general. Uh, what is to like in this group? There is an area that stands out, that's the rails. The rails have acted much, much better. Stocks like CSX, stocks like KSU, for those March Madness fans, no, it's not Kansas State, it is Kansas City Southern. Stock has had a very good move, it's up about 27%. This area in general is going to be very, very important right near prior highs from late last year. If we can get above that, you know, my thinking is the stock should continue to show a very good relative strength and outperform. So I would still bet on the rails. Uh, I don't like the air freight as much or the airlines. Technically speaking, Mark, is Dow theory still valid? Oh, I think absolutely 100%. Uh, you know, you have to look at things where, you know, does the transports and does the Dow, do they tend to move together? Uh, when you look at swing highs and lows, and those are different than really short-term moves that a lot of us, you know, look at on a day-to-day period, but it absolutely should be taken into consideration. The Dow is still very relevant. It tends to move along with the S&P a very high percentage of the time. All right, Mark, thank you. Good to see you. Mark Newton, thank Newton you. Advisors. So- now, 20 bucks if you've got the K-State mascot. Oh. Shouldn't do that. It's one. Yeah. It's one of the most obvious mascots in yeah. college sports. It's There's obvious, a, really. As in, it's it's a very redundant mascot. It's it's everywhere. What do you mean? What do you mean it's everywhere? There's, a, there's other schools that, with the same mascot. It's a very common a dog, wildcat. <laughs> <laughs> FYI, trade school. The right. more you know, yeah. so useful. Um, All right, you owe me twenty bucks. KSU, KSU. 
Thank you. <laughs> the Wildcats. <laughs> All right. So KSU is domestic, but it also goes to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when there was the skirmish with Mexico, there yep. was concerns there. But where do you stand? And if you rest? recall, I mean, that's a stock to trade. I think it had a 70 handle when it, at the peak of the whole U.S.-Mexico problem. It's obviously rallied considerably since. If you look in terms of valuation, KSU is probably the most expensive in terms of P.E. And it's probably being rewarded for the fact it's probably one of the better run railroads. But you're running into trouble here at this 125 level that you last saw a couple years ago. Quickly with FedEx. You know, FedEx is 37 percent lower than its all-time high, I think at 225 or something, in the beginning of 2018. That's on an S&P 500 that's within a couple percent of its all-time high. Got to start to ask yourself, look, maybe FedEx, is it a bellwether? Well, if it is a bellwether, the s and is too high. Either that or something's changing fundamentally under their feet. I think the rails, uh, to Guy's point, I don't even have to go way back. I'm looking at resistance in these just a couple of months ago. The, all the rails, uh, the ones I'm looking at is the ones that Mark just mentioned, have are running into resistance right here. It's a wall of resistance. It looks extremely double-toppy for me. I would not be a buyer of the rails. Whereas in the other part of the transport space, if you look at the airlines, you're not going to be surprised to hear from me that I think that they're very cheap here, and they're at the bottom end of a range. And, and arguably, there's been a, a litany of reasons why, but ultimately... What we're hearing from CEOs in their business, business class is alive and well. Uh, they're not seeing a fall down in, in essentially in, in their highest kind of margin product. It's really about capacity. It's idiosyncratic stuff with airlines. I like them. I think the way that the market itself is trading is it's going after growth, and I'm not sure the rails have it. I don't think you get hurt in the rails, but I think in this particular market, you're going to want to want those names that are asset light that can go after the growth, which, again, unfortunately, it's the FANG, the names we've talked about for about 15, 20 decades. <laughs> Speaking of FedEx, uh, this is an interview you will not want to miss. Fred Smith, the CEO, will be on with Jim Cramer and Mad Money tonight huh, to nice. break down the delivery huh. company's quarter. That is at the top of the hour. This will be important to tomorrow's trade. Plus, Google revealing its new gaming platform in San Francisco today. We will tell you how it could shake up the gaming industry as you know it. Stick around. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. One of the biggest reveals in the gaming world this year taking place earlier today, Google unveiling a new platform many are referring to as a Netflix of gaming that could shake up the video game industry. Josh Lipton was at the Google keynote at the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco. He's got all the details on the tech giant's big gaming bet. Hey, Josh. Melissa, a game platform for everyone. That's how Google CEO Sundar Pichai is describing his company's big new push into the $135 billion video game market. It is called Stadia. It's a new game service for devices running Google's Chrome browser, and it could upend the traditional video game market because it's going to mean that fans will soon be able to stream complex, high-level games over the Internet right to their phones, tablets and televisions. That means no need for PCs, no need for expensive game consoles, and Google executives say Stadia is a game changer. And We want games to be available to everyone without the barriers or the uh, limitations of the hardware that they may have in their home, we'll take care of the hardware in our data center and all you need is a laptop or a PC or a TV to stream to. So you don't have to have that expensive custom hardware to get the best possible game experiences. And over time, we think that that will dramatically increase the game audience for everyone. 
Now, Google says Stadia will launch this year. The company isn't yet detailing the business model, though. So is this going to be a subscription, or will Google take a portion of all proceeds spent on Stadia? And remember, there is plenty of competition when it comes to video game streaming. Microsoft, we know, is pursuing this technology. So, too, reportedly, is Amazon. One company that moved sharply higher in today's trade, check out AMD. Google did confirm that this new service will use AMD chips. I also caught up here with Oppenheimer's Andrew Erkowitz. He covers the video game market. He was pretty impressed with what he saw from Google. His point being, listen, if you can stream um, these really graphics-rich games anytime, anywhere, and instantly, that is a big deal. He did have questions, though, and one he had was, are these big game developers, they're really going to buy into Google's vision here. They're going to partner with Google. Even if that means giving up some of their game proceeds, is that worth the trade-off if you could potentially reach that many more gamers around the world? Melissa, back to you. Is there any concern, Josh, on the part of Google executives that they're basically asking for uh, the video game developers outside of Google to share their content, you know, in exchange for whatever money, but they're also going to be competing with them at the same time by launching their very own studio to develop their own games. Yeah, no, I think there's big questions here for those guys. One is, um, you could reach that many more gamers if this is successful, but you do lose, potentially lose um, some real um, flexibility here. You're going to lose potentially distribution power here in authority. You're going to potentially also give up some game proceeds. So big questions here. They get right to, to the heart of the content. You know, what is the content? What are going to be the killer games that are really going to draw people in? I did try to push Phil Harrison on that point, and he simply said, listen, a lot more about the actual catalog. We're going to have more about that launch catalog later, maybe this summer, he said. They are working with big developers, big and small. I did think on the content front, it was interesting, too. They all are going to launch, Melissa, their own studio. So that's a big deal, potentially, also here. Yep. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton at the uh, Google Game Developers Conference out in San Francisco. You, you just said before, it's a big deal. This is a big deal. I think it is a big deal. I mean, I, I have four children, two of which are always in front of the television uh, fighting for uh, airtime. They're on the Fortnite, uh, Fortnite crazy. And I do think this is the way to get in. Google has not been effective at trying to get social into the platform. YouTube has been a screaming success. But I think this will really start pulling in some eyeballs. I really think it's a win for Google. Is it enough to counteract uh, the negative, negative headlines that we see in the press right now about privacy issues? No. But is it something where I think they're building for the future? 100%. And, and there's been a lot of negativity just in the stocks themselves. So you've had a couple releases already in the first quarter, um, which, which were disappointing frankly, in terms of the growth outlook for companies at one point that were priced for growth. But whether it's EA, whether it's Take-Two, whether it's Activision, uh, they all hit the skids. There's been a major bounce though over the last couple weeks in some of them, and even couple months in some others. Uh, I continue to like Activision because I just think relative to their peers, they're cheaper. They've got Overwatch, but then they've got, uh, they've got Diablo. They've got a couple big titles coming out late 2019, 2020. And, and it gets back to, with the Googles and the guys providing the hardware, it's really a content game. And what is going on in your pipeline, what's going on in your catalog, and we've talked about this too. At some point, these guys become cheap enough where they are content for a big media company to buy. You know, we were just talking about Apple's a TV streaming yeah. service, which is going to be launched next week. And mm -hmm. you made the comment, Apple is a hardware company. Yeah. Would this have been a smarter move for Apple to do, given that it's a hardware company, 
Um, um, no, actually, because that's what they're trying to do here is ultimately reduce a lot of the hardware. The problem they're trying to solve is that you have to buy these multiple consoles and you can't stream it. So I, I actually love this move by Google. I think it fits right into what they do. They can pull some levers with some other parts of their industry. And I would be afraid if I were at some point in time the big gaming companies, because to borrow a line from Jeff Bezos, your profit margin is my opportunity. And that's what Google's doing. Here. But to use the parallel for Netflix, are you are, are you as a studio afraid of Netflix now? I mean, I guess maybe you are because they are competing with original content. Um, Should be. And, and is that is that metaphor going to hold for this industry? To answer sort of the tangential question, I think Apple, instead of, instead of Apple and Disney trying to fight this land war with Netflix that I don't think they can win, you know, I think they're better suited to go and look at a take two with 19 times forward earnings, which would probably be a 15 to 16 billion dollar deal. Get into that space because that's to me where the tremendous growth opportunities are. Or maybe are. Google could go out and buy one of those game makers at this well, point. It, it, they're going to launch their own buy, studio. But you're, you're, you're setting up this kind of parallel, which could be going on in the gaming space, yeah. where, again, you have the legacy, essentially, conduit or right. your distributors um, with the guys that have content that are the games. And it comes down to what are the games that the kids want to play. Um, and I agree. that I think Google, I, I think this is a great move for Google. I think it's just another level lever, as Brian talked about, for a company that has probably five different businesses that are north of a billion dollars. All right. As Josh had just mentioned, AMD surged today on Google's unveiling of Stadia, the semiconductor company creating custom chips for that platform. Chip stocks as a group, they're soaring this year, but options traders are betting if history repeats itself, one name reporting tomorrow may stop the semi-surge in its tracks. Mike Coe is breaking it down in San Francisco. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So Micron is one of the earliest to report. They're going to be reporting tomorrow, and they're implying about a 6.4% move on that earnings announcement. That's more than the 5.6%. It's averaged over the past eight quarters. But you may remember when they reported last December, the stock was down nearly 8%. And you may also remember that the semiconductor index overall, of which it is a constituent, was down nearly 4.5% that same day. And that may explain one of the things that we saw today, which was more than three times as many puts trading in SMH, which is the ETF that tracks the semiconductor index over calls. And one of the trades that I saw was a purchase of the weekly 107 puts. 1,130 of those were bought for 94 cents. So that's a bearish bet that the SMH is going to fall. And I would point out that for people who are making a bearish bet on it, because the options premiums in Micron are elevated, this actually might be a cheaper way to make that bearish bet if those correlations tend to hold up when we see earnings reported tomorrow. This is how good semis uh, quarter has been. This is going to be the best quarter when they close it out. It's on track for the best quarter in two years. In terms of stock performance. In terms of the semiconductor I mean, you think, well, quickly, yeah. look at Micron's going from 29.5 to 43. I mean, the stock's rallied 15% since the December period we're talking about. Then you throw in like a Xilinx, and Intel's had a decent move, AMD, obviously. But you wonder, and, and Steve will talk to DRAM because he's looking at it now, but you wonder if the move is too far too fast. And even down to 35, the move in Micron would still be pretty magnificent from the December lows. When Micron jumps and, and DRAM does nothing but go down, Micron eventually revisits wh what the trend was in DRAM. So that's what's happening right now. Micron ran, DRAM is still running into the ground. I would say it's a uh, sell signal in Micron. All right, thanks for that, Mike. For more Options Action, full show is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, check out shares of Altria dropping as San Francisco cracks down on the e-cig company, Jewel, and the city could be about to wage an all-out war on the company, we'll explain. Also ahead, the CBOE saying goodbye to Bitcoin futures, saying the crypto craze is over, for now at least. We'll bring you all the details. Much more Fast Money still ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Altria dropping today after officials in San Francisco announced they will seek a ban on the sale of e-cigarettes in the city. Let's get to Aditi Roy in San Francisco with more on this developing story. Hey, Aditi. Hi there, Melissa. San Francisco city attorney and a city supervisor say the FDA has not done enough to curb e-cigarette use among kids. So they want to crack down on those products in the city. They just introduced a bill which would prohibit the sale of e-cigarettes in San Francisco and also prevent e-cigarette companies like Juul from occupying city-owned property in the future. Juul is currently headquartered in San Francisco on city-owned property, but the company would be grandfathered in should the city approve the bill. However, if the measure passes, it would prevent Juul from expanding its footprint on city-owned property. In a statement, Juul says, we encourage the city of San Francisco to severely restrict youth access, but do so in a way that preserves the opportunity to eliminate combustible cigarettes. In another development in the space, outgoing FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb said today at a Brookings event that he met with Juul and Altria, which of course owns 35% of Juul, and he called the meeting, quote, difficult. Juul had no comment on the meeting, other than acknowledging it took place last Wednesday. In response to Gottlieb's comments, one analyst from Consumer Edge says while Altria has levers to pull to manage earnings in the short term, the regulatory risk in the U.S. is about long-term free cash flow, which is reflected in tobacco discount valuations. Melissa, back to you. All right, Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy in San Francisco with the latest on Juul. Uh, was this a mistaken purchase of a stake in Juul, given the regulatory landscape was so murky when Altria made that 35% stake purchase. I, look, there are some people who would say on the other side that Altria timed this to a point where after Juul had been so beaten down by the FDA that they were to get in here and now the pressure's off them. It, it's not lost on me the irony of San Francisco, which is pushing e-cannabis um, and all kinds of other things that you can smoke. And, and you know, really, to me, this is about regulation and, and where I don't think anybody wants their 14-year-old kids doing any of this stuff. So um, to push a company completely out of the city, well, frankly, they are legalized. And in California, it was the hotbed of legalization. Um, I, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I own Altria. And I think on a, they talked about the valuation, which is priced in here. These guys have diversified into beer and wine, into cannabis, um, beyond cigarettes, into smokeless. And it's a cash flow machine. So, uh, you know, we've seen these headlines before. The stock's 36 percent off the bottom. It doesn't surprise me it sells off. I, think if I look at the other side of it. You always look at Europe and, and the international side, Philip Morris. When you look, when you look there, it's always more a liberal ap- approach. You would think that it was a little more easier uh, against e-cigs, against cigarettes. But you, it's starting to run into technical challenge, technical resistance here. So I think we're getting into a phase where these companies are actually hitting a wall of regulation where we didn't think they're trying to escape it, to Tim's point, but and they're running into is, another one. Isn't liberal approach more regulation? Yes, it is, but usually right. not in this. I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's, a, it's a good point, but usually not in this, and that's why you made it an ironic gesture. Right. In terms of Mo and Tim mentioned, I mean, the stock has bounced from 44.5 to 57. I mean, 57-ish is the level it really broke down from in the beginning of December, so it makes sense that we pull back here. Twelve and a half times forward earnings, it's not that big a valuation, so I do think you get a shot to buy it, but I think you get a shot to buy it probably closer to $50, which is where it consolidated last. Yeah, I wait till this clears out. This does seem like a bad buy to me. It seems like the sentiment, not just the regulating, but the sentiment against e-cigarettes have really turned here, and given the run in Mo, I think you just stay on the sidelines at the very least. All right, coming up, it's the end of an era. The CBOE, well, kind of an era, short era. (laughs) CBOE pulling the plug on Bitcoin futures trading. If you remember the launch of this trading tool, 
That marked wow. the top in Bitcoin. So what now? We will discuss. We are live at the Nasdaq in Times Square much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The CBOE announcing it will no longer list Bitcoin futures once its current contracts expire in June. The exchange battling for trading activity with its rival, the CME. The CBOE was the first exchange to introduce Bitcoin futures back in December 2017. And while, by the way, the looks of this chart may have marked the top. Now, all of this comes as Bitcoin breaks above 4,000. So we thought we'd bring the Bitcoin bug back for this mm. uh, part of the show. I like so having that. The, uh, the baller. So if that marked the top, is the end of the futures marking some sort of a bottom? You know what? I think I think we could look back on this and say, you know what? That was the bottom. There's a couple things that have gone on since the low in December. You've seen the underlying fundamentals improve. In the low in December, Bitcoin was the cheapest it's been since the bear market ended in 2016. We're starting to see address growth. You're starting to see sentiment like this. This tells me that retail traders are out of the picture because these CBO futures were one contract, so about $3,900, versus CME were five, so that's $20,000. So I think retail is is exhausted. Uh, you're starting to see sellers being exhausted and institutions come in. Fidelity is a catalyst coming up in Q2. I think all those things combined, we might look back and say, you know what? In the 3000s was a great place to buy Bitcoin. The thought, though, is that when this product launched in December, that this would be a way for institutions to come in as well. Yes. And, and but that never came to that, bear. No, institutions were a lot slower than we all expected, yeah. right? But the other part of it has been there are other avenues that have come along for institutions. Custody has got much better. So institutions can actually buy physical Bitcoin. Both the lending side and, and the other side, the shorting side of Bitcoin, has gotten more robust, so there's less of a need for these futures contracts at this point. What about cannabis as an alternate investment, too? When you look at, when you look at these charts, I know everyone says that they don't, they don't take one from the other, but whenever I look at the charts, yes, it used to be gold and Bitcoin, and now when you look at the cannabis trade, the money that's flowing in there on a lot of these desks could have been flowing into Bitcoin as well. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim. Google with gaming or just a valuation that makes a lot of sense here. I'm long. Google. Speakers. If the Fed tomorrow says they're going to let inflation run a little bit hotter, I think you buy the banks, XLF. Steve. Lenar. I think it was being sold today as a hedge against Powell tomorrow. Lenar, look for green. Key. A lot of tonight's show. I mean, so really, much. We surrounded yeah. so many in. things tonight. By the way, it's great to have you back. Joe did great a nice back. job last night, he but he is nice not job. you and I'm just bringing that up. Because we have a few Very minutes. Cool. Symantec's either going to really fail lucky. miserably here or break out to the upside. I bet on the latter. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.